Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sterling's Business Success and Coffee Podcast, kindly sponsored and supported by Sterling's group coaching programs and Fix This Next. This free online business assessment tool enables you to pinpoint your business's vital need. Keep listening for top business tips and advice to help you level up and scale up. Here's your host, Simon Meadows. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Business Success and Coffee podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jim, and uh, Jim's last name is Gitney, and he was telling me a little bit before the recording started the origins of that. But listeners, I want to tell you that Jim has over 45 years of senior level experience in world-class companies ranging from startups to Fortune 50s. During his corporate career, he worked at GE, Black & Decker, Sunbeam and Rainbird. He founded Group 50 Consulting in 2004 and has worked with over 200 companies formulating and implementing strategies and has helped them realise hundreds of millions of dollars in improved performance for each and every one of his clients. He has extensive experience in running large global operations working with boards, business owners, and executives on developing and implementing transformative strategic initiatives. I love it when guests put tongue twisters in their text here. But also, (laughs) particularly important for me, listeners, is that that includes mergers and acquisitions, also integration, restructuring, and lean management, which encompasses business process engineering and sustainable continuous improvement initiatives. He has led or participated in 11 operational and financial restructuring. And he is the author, which I'm sure we'll hear a bit about later on. And for those of you who see the video, you'll probably see a copy of it behind him there as well. He's the author of Strategy Realized, The Business Hierarchy of Needs. And he understands, and this is the most important thing, listeners, and I think this is where we're going to get a real treat today. Jim understands how to turn strategy into results. Because that's the missing link, isn't it? Very often we have lots of people who teach us strategy. I don't know if you agree with this, Jim. But very often it's the implementation part of that strategy that lacks, which then means we don't get the results that we want. Welcome to today's podcast. Simon, thank you so much. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. And is that something, before we start talking about all things coffee, is, is that something that you see a lot of where people, you know, they work on their strategies, but then they don't just don't take the action. They don't take the implementation to turn that into results. Is that something that's quite common in your your field as well? Well, it is. And so let me give you a couple of compelling statistics. Mm, please. 80% of strategies don't realize their intended value. Wow. Yeah. And almost 80% of mergers and acquisitions don't end up creating the value that was originally anticipated as well. Another compelling statistic is that 60% of CEOs believe that their team does not have a good implementation process. Yes. And that's quite an admission, isn't it? Okay. And what's even more interesting is that 66% of employees don't feel engaged. Now let's let's put all of that into context here. The bridge between strategy and results are people and organizations. Yep. 
completely agree. Now, when I first started started my career, employee costs were anywhere between twenty and thirty percent of the cost of the business. Today, the average number is around seven to nine. Yeah. And so, while we've done a, a you know an interesting job over the last forty five years in automating things and making technology the backbone that drives business, the reality is people are still the bridge between strategy and results. And so that can be the primary, that's the primary reason why such a high percentage of strategies don't create the intended value. Yeah. And and we'll come to this a little bit later on, but one of the things I, I find is that technology is not a replacement for that bridge it's a way of accelerating that connection between the strategy and results and i work with a lot of digital businesses and they always feel that digital and technology is the replacement to the people where it's you know i find it's the accelerant to that success and to those people so it helps them just get to where they want to go quicker and more effectively uh, so, yeah, interesting set of statistics. Yeah, Simon, you're absolutely right. I like to consider technology as an enabler. Mm. Yeah. The, the other thing that's real interesting in the over 200 companies I've worked with, and I'll just give you a quick example. So I consider myself to be a pretty good Excel user. Okay, yeah. But I'll bet that I don't use 10% of the tools that are inside of Excel that are yeah. available to we find the exact same thing in every business we do work with. What we find is that companies have spent a lot of money on their, on their technology backbone, but the majority, and, and while it's an enabler, in order for it to work, people in the organization need to understand how to use it properly yeah. and to understand what tools are available to them to use it. So perhaps we could say that people are the bridge between strategy and results and technology enables yeah. those kinds of things to happen. Yeah, yeah, completely. And, and I think you, know, you touched on something very important there about the use of that, particularly Excel, because I put myself not in a good user of Excel. So I know I'm probably only in 1% of uh, Excel use. But it's, it's, it's allowing people to, to use that technology as well, isn't it? And, and allowing them to, to use it as an enabler. So let's before we go on to more about you and your business and your background, and uh, I've got a s- slight story I might raise with Black & Decker, but we'll, we'll think about that as we go along. But tell us a little bit about the, the coffee that you drink, and in particular, how you drink your coffee, Jim. So there's actually two things I drink in the morning, Simon. Mm-hmm. So I work out seven days a week and I always have some whey protein with some okay. milk, which is what I start with in the morning. Yep. And then this, then a cup of coffee with uh, Italian sweet cream in it, which is in the U.S. I don't know if they have that in the U.K., but... In the U.S., you can buy in the dairy section of the grocery store uh, all kinds of different types of additives that you can put with coffee. And I've tried hazelnut and vanilla and, you know, 
French vanilla and all of those kinds of things. But the one I've landed on is Italian sweet cream. Yeah, I mean, we we actually don't. It's interesting. This was raised uh, quite a few episodes ago now. Somebody mentioned carnation uh, milk here in the UK. And we we don't tend to have that many different alternatives. We used to. used to get all different kinds of creams. But it's almost as though the word cream has become one of those words that uh, is too sweet, it's too bad for you, it's too like salt, you should reduce your cream. and um, So our aisles and grocery stores have been stripped of a lot of really good tasting um, sort of dairy products or dairy alternatives, definitely. So, uh, yeah. Um, you've mentioned whey protein. Uh, what's a taste of that like? You know, I've, I've seen it. Uh, on the shelves, I've never had it myself. What? How does that compare in taste to something that we might understand that we can compare it to? So it, it's a powder mm-hmm. that you mix, that I mix into milk. Many people drink it with just with water, and okay. you can buy it flavored as well. You can get vanilla, you oh, can okay. get strawberry, you can get chocolate. Uh, I one of my closest friends. Uh, that I ride, do motorcycle trips with, actually has a company called NutriBio, and he, he comes out with a different flavor every month. Does he? Yeah, right. As yeah. a matter of fact, he just come out with his annual St. Patrick's Day flavor. Right. Oh wow, that sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's. It's. I think for me, as soon as I hear anything supplement wise my taste buds retract and think, oh, no. Uh, and when I was younger, I, I had a supplement which was like a, a liver supplement. And it was the most vile tasting liquid that I ever, ever have had. And I say, every time I think about health supplements now, my, my taste buds go right back to that point and retract and say, no, no, unless it's flavoured, it's not coming in. Simple as that. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So... The the background you've you've had then, um, and obviously such a great background, you know, working with companies such as G and Black and Decker. What led you to leave that arena and found Group Fifty Consulting in two thousand and four? Congratulations on such a long period of being in business. But what led you to that point? So, during my career, I was a fix it guy. Okay. And inside of GE and Black and & Decker and Sunbeam, I would be called on to fix portions of the company that weren't living up to their expectations. Yep. And what I found during that 25-year period was that the reason divisions, organizations, teams of people struggle is primarily because of a lack of alignment on one most important goal. Hmm. And when you do a restructuring, you do it because the organization or the division or the company is in trouble. And that requires an immediate about face. It requires a completely different approach to what the future of the business is going to look like and it also requires a completely different approach to how people work inside the business and what their objectives are. Yeah. And so what I found during that period of time that if we had one most important goal, 
And we had everybody in the organization aligned with that goal. And I stood back and allowed them to use their skills and their capabilities and their desire to fix the business, thereby preserving their livelihood. Amazing things could happen. And so it occurred to me after I got to into the corporate C-suite that I actually preferred working with groups of people who wanted to make change and decided that I was going to own my own open my own consulting firm. Great. And so in 2013, I created something called the business hierarchy of needs and took the concept of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and applied it to business. Sure. And so it, it basically is built around the fact that if we as a team of people or as a group of people have one most important goal that we're all pointed towards and that we're all supportive of, amazing things can happen. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why do you think people get so distracted by trying to multitask and work on many different things? Because I think deep down... Most of us know that, yeah. Most of us know we need a clear vision on where we're going, and we know the importance of having that focus on that most important goal. But just something seems to completely mess that up in the majority of people, where they either get distracted, like magpies, and I'm attracted to shiny things as as much as anybody else. What is what is it that think you think distracts people from that one big goal? So Simon, I, I honestly believe it's because they don't know what it is. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So if you were to, to, to go around to a, a, a random group of people inside a business and ask them, well, what do you think is the most important goal for the business? I, I, I'd be willing to bet a quid that they, their answers would be different. Yep. Their answers would be different. Now, there might be some similarities. We, you know, more profit or more output or more market share. And those similarities would be uh, different based on what their function they were in in an organization. Yeah. You know, the operations team might have a different view than the sales and marketing team, which might have a different view than the product development team. Yeah. And so what I have found is that strategy, the development of strategy tends to reside in a small portion of the organization called the C-suite. And they work on it for months. Yeah. And they get it done. And now they have to face the challenge of how do I communicate this to everyone else in the organization? In the work we do, we engage a much larger group of people in the organization in the development of strategy so that when it's done and it's time to roll it out, there's three, four, five X more people who are knowledgeable of what that most important goal is and what that strategy is, thereby making implementation much easier thereby reducing distraction. Yeah. Do you feel that that has a significant difference on the 
the buying of the people then because you know I've seen the C-suite bring you know alignment teams together and they've made a presentation of their strategy and you get some people that buying and some people that don't to the vision and the mission of where the business is going but I should imagine and listeners I'm sure you'll agree as, as, as you've listened to it if I was involved in producing that strategy alongside those in the C-suite my buying is going to be greater is, is that something that's a common after effect of that yeah so let me share a short story with you mm. There are several books out there that say that Gen X and millennials, you know, they, they have a need to feel, to be part of something bigger. Yep. Right. They, they, they need, they need to feel like what they're doing is worthwhile. Well, I, I don't buy that because I don't think it's, and the reason I don't buy it is because I don't think it's limited to Gen X and millennials. Right? I'm a baby boomer. Yep. And I want to I want to be led. Even when I was a CEO, I wanted to be led. I wanted my board of directors to tell me to work with me in defining where we were going to take the business and give me support in doing that. So we all want to be led. It doesn't matter where we are in the organization or how old we are. And we want to know the from what to what by when. Oh, like that. Yep. All right. So, you know, it's like going to a party. You go to a party Saturday night and you know that it is at a friend's house. But if you don't know what time it starts <laughs> and you don't know how you're going to get there, and you don't know how long you're going to be there. You really, you really don't uh, don't have the ability to participate in the party. Yeah, yeah strategy is exactly the same. So we create a most important goal, one goal. Maybe it's to double profits within five years, or maybe it's to increase market share by fifty percent, or maybe it's to triple enterprise value. It doesn't matter. Each one of those will have a unique strategy. But I can communicate one goal to everyone in the organization and ask them to start thinking about it. Now, I want to be led. I want to know from what to what by when. But what I really want is to be part of the how. Hmm. And if you allow me to be part of the how, Yep. And I have what we call skin in the game. And, and I'll give you an example. I've done over 200 Kaizen events. Now, some of your listeners may not know what Kaizen is, but it basically is where you take a group of people who do something, who own a process, and you put them in a room for two or three days, depending on how complex the process is. And you, tell, you ask them to improve that process. It might be reduce inventory, reduce lead time, increase quality. It could be any number of things. Yep. And you allow them to redesign the process that they own. And you give them some support, sure. perhaps a little bit of training based on what they need to do. And you stand back. 
Now, I've done, I've led or participated in over 200 events during my career. I've only ever had two that didn't deliver amazing results. Ah. And the team of people in those two teams were so distraught by the fact that what they suggested that it didn't work, <laughs> that they begged for the opportunity to redo it. And those were two of the most successful Kaizen events we've ever had or ever done. So, you know, in when I was running Black & Decker's uh, appliance factory in North Carolina, I had almost 2000 employees. And over 200 of them had just amazing skills. Some had degrees, some had master's degrees, some had written books, some built race cars, some yeah. programmed computers, right? I mean, just think of all of your friends and the amazing things they do outside of work. Well, if you can figure out how to engage that knowledge, that high level expertise inside your organization, the results are amazing. And it's not difficult to do. Make people in your organization, no matter where they are, part of the how and get out of the way. And it's interesting you mentioned Black & Decker, so I'll, sh I'll share a very quick very quick story here. So uh, I've been a fan of Black & Decker. It's one of the first power tools that my father bought me some years ago. And I've still got the same electric corded uh, drill that he gave me sort of 40 odd years ago. And it still works and I still use it. But there seems to be a, a change in the perception and the brand of Black & Decker, certainly here in the UK. And I, you know, I've got several tools in my, in my garage and we, we had a, a theft where we live and four garages on the little cul-de-sac where I live got broken into and mine was one of them. And mine was the only one that anything was stolen from. Okay. Um, and it was all um, a product called still. So it was still saws, chainsaws, that kind of stuff. And they, the, the police came out to see my neighbor and he, he said, oh, you see you've been broken into? Yeah, uh, was anything taken? He said, no. He said, I don't understand it. He said, my neighbor's garage was broken into. They took all of his tools, but they didn't take any of mine. And the policeman said, they wouldn't have taken any of yours, sir because yours are Black and Decker. <laughs> and and I, I was, I mean, one, I found it quite quite funny, but I was actually quite distraught because I thought if only people understood how valuable that drill was, that Black and Decker drill that I had and how long it had lasted me. The other stuff, because it was more market um, sort of attractive, but actually it won't last a lifetime. Uh, and it's, I don't know if the brand has changed, you know, in the in the US and around the world the same, but yeah, it it has certainly taken a bit of a battering here in the UK, and I was quite saddened by that. I found it quite funny that he managed to keep all his things and all mine got stolen. Um, apart from my Black and Decker drill, I've still got that. Um, but yeah, what a, what a shift in the way perception was. Uh, I don't know if that's something that you know you're seeing in the US as well, but yeah, that was. Uh, Quite, quite an interesting tale, not too long ago as well. Yeah, so Simon, I could we could spend an hour talking about the 11 years <laughs> I spent at Black & Decker and how, uh, you know, I even remember uh, 
when I would go visit the Spennymore facility where they made uh, professional power tools. Yeah. That people would say how in the UK back in the late 80s and early 90s that when someone said they were going to get Black and Decker, if they were going to the hardware store. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Right. So we could spend a lot of time talking about it. And quite honestly, I, it's been 30 years, 25 years since I worked at Black and Decker. So I'm really not qualified to <laughs> no. any, any longer to comment on their market position. But at yeah. the end of the day, when they launched uh, DeWalt, Okay. They very clearly, they very clearly moved Black and Decker products into the DIY category, the do-it-yourselfer yeah. category, yeah, yeah, and focused primarily on De, uh, Dewalt as the professional power tool. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. Yeah, and people probably don't even realize that. You know, I didn't realize that until not too long ago that Black and Decker, uh, you know, Dewalt was Black and Decker and vice versa. So, uh, yeah. So let me ask you a question, Jim, uh, about what you've been working on. So obviously I mentioned that you're an author and, and your book. Is that something that is something recently that you've been working on or has it been something else going off in your business with everything else that's been going off in the world as well? Because things have changed, haven't they, for consultants and, and people like you and I over the last sort of four, four years, three or four years. But is, is the book something fairly recent? Yes, it is. Uh, as I had mentioned, I created the Business Hierarchy of Needs in 2013 and have used it exclusively inside of Group 50, my consulting company. Yep. And uh, last year, as, we've be, as we have continued to do a lot of strategic planning work, the concept of a business hierarchy of needs and the elements inside of it were took a while to explain. Sure. And what I wanted to do, I wrote the book uh, in the fourth quarter of last year. What I wanted to do is take all of my thinking around the business hierarchy of needs and aggregate it into something, compile something that someone could grab and, and take advantage of the lessons learned by myself and all of the people I've worked with over the years. Yeah. And, and put it into a framework on how to implement, how to develop and implement strategy. And so it was just recently uh, released on February 9th. So oh, just five right. weeks ago. Yeah, it's hot off the press, yeah. Yeah, so it's relatively, it's relatively new, but people take a look at the business hierarchy of needs and here you can see there are three levels. Let me see if I can get yep. this right here. There you go. Right. So you've got the foundation, which is strategy, customer awareness, mission, vision, values that, that build that really strong foundation. The second level is knowledge and change management, which is all about organization and people. And then the third level is implementation. Now, what's interesting is when you go into the details behind it, there's 29 elements in the business hierarchy of needs. And a, a lot of people look at that and they go, I can't manage 29 things. You, you can't ask yeah. me to, to do 29 things, right? Give me the 250 character tweet on how <laughs> to successfully create and implement strategy. 
The point I make in the book is that the 29 elements of the business hierarchy of needs are things you already do. Ah. Every business has to hire people. Yep. Every business has to redesign business processes. Every business has to have a compensation strategy for their people. Succession planning, mission, vision, values. What we introduce into the concept of the business hierarchy of needs is that what we want you to do, what we're suggesting is the secret sauce to implementing strategy is to create one most important goal, engage as many people as you can in the organization, especially middle level leaders and influencers in the business, yep. in the development of the strategy and point everything you do, all 29 elements toward that most important goal. Gotcha. I, I, I joke with some of my colleagues that the most important goal is the politically correct way to say no. <laughs> yep. You think about that when you're in, when you're leading a business, you're talking with someone and they have an idea. If they can immediately share with you how that helps the company or the team, because this applies to a team as well as it does to a company. If, if they can share with you how this helps move the business toward its most important goal, then the answer is for the most part, by all means, let's do this. Yeah. If they can't share with you how it helps the company move toward its most important goal, it doesn't even get brought to the table. And I don't think people, Jim, use plans to make decisions enough. You know, I remember reading Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, autobiography, Total Recall. And the thing I loved about that book was that in, even as a, as a youngster, he had a, a clear idea of where he wanted to go and what he wanted to achieve, whether you like him or not. He had that clear focus and he made his decisions as do these elements that have been brought before me help me achieve my plan or do they move me away from it? If they move yes. me away from it, it's an absolute no. If they move me closer to it, then I'll consider them. It's not a guaranteed yes, but I'll consider it. And it, and it is that, that decision-making process, isn't it, against those plans? Yes. Yes, it absolutely is. And if I'm the head of a supply chain or I'm the head of human resources or I'm in finance, and I sit and think about what I do and what I can do differently that will allow us to achieve our most important goal, then I now, I now have taken another step toward engaging everyone yeah. toward the end result. Yeah. So we're all intrigued about uh, the book. How do we find out more about the book? Where do we get a, uh, our hands on a copy of it? And, and where would you like to send the listeners to? So the uh, book is called Strategy Realized, The Business Hierarchy of Needs. Yep. It's available on Amazon. Okay. In a hardback, paperback, and Kindle. But if they want to read more about it and see some blog articles and see more reviews and get some excerpts from the book other than what's available on Amazon, they can go to strategy realized, 
realestatereal.com. That's strategy, R-E-A-L-I-Z-E-D.com. And on that website, there's also available in a PDF, which is a little more cost effective if that's something that the listeners might be interested in. Yeah, great. So lots of resources, not just the book, but lots of additional things that they can get there on that website uh, to complement a copy of the book as well. Yeah. So the other thing, Simon, is that the worksheets and the there is a workbook for creating your own unique business okay. hierarchy of needs. Yeah. There is a worksheet for some, for our strategic planning methodology called Where to Play and How to Win. Right. Yep. There is worksheets for cascading objectives. So going back to your Arnold Schwarzenegger example, he always wanted to be a bodybuilder. Hmm. Well, just lifting weights wasn't going to be enough, right? It included nutrition. It included training. It included weights. It included jogging. So if you sit and think about it, there were dozens of things he needed to do in order to get him to that. goal. So the cascading objectives worksheet is very similar. Here's what our most important goal is. Here are the three or four strategies that we want to use to get there. Now, an organization, the organization, portions of the organizations, you say, what is it you're going to do? What objectives are you going to set? So which provides more uh, background and and puts more meat on the bones, if you will. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, all of that can be downloaded from the website. It's free. Perfect. And because what I wanted to do, the other thing I wanted to do with the book, besides aggregating all my thinking, was to share something that's been very successful for us over the last ten years with anyone who wants to consider it and use those tools yeah yeah and and i must admit you know for me having the book and the worksheets to go with it is always a bonus you know and I, I love books where they give you that because then you can really study the book you don't just have to read it you can study it and you can use the worksheets and complete them as you go through it as well when you go through it again and again and again so i love that yeah um just want to ask sort of before we go on to the final question if you were to give the listeners and you've given us so much as already particularly i love the uh, from what to what and by when and then get them engaged in the how that's definitely uh, the thing for me today but if you were to give the listeners a tip a lesson something that they can take away that they can do something with in the next few days or the next week ahead what would that be today jim what would you like to tell them to go out and do so uh it's interesting. My children are 38, 36, and 34. Okay. And, and they all had to read the book in its manuscript form. Right. And what's interesting is that uh, two of them are leaders. They have people in their organization, and one of them does not. They came back to me, all three of them came back to me and said, I need to set a most important goal for what I do. Hmm. or for what my team does. And we need to have a conversation about that most important goal. And what are the things we as a team can do? And I said, 
wow. I mean, that that's pretty cool. I said, but what you want to do, you want to add one more thing to that? And their comment was what? I said, you want to share your most important goal. You want to have this conversation with your leader. Yeah. And, and, and the conversation is pretty simple. What's the most important thing you want me to accomplish this year? Or what's the most important thing you want my team to accomplish this year to support the business strategy? When you do that and you cascade objectives, follow the worksheet, yeah. you do that. Now, all of a sudden, you've put together a plan that's got, that is well thought through and has a much higher likelihood of getting funded with both capital and people. Yeah. Right. And so it's an exercise that every leader should, everyone should do regardless of whether they have people working for them or not. And it's something that causes you to go through a thought process on what my work activities are going to look like in the next few days, in the next months this year. So that's my tip. Yeah. The most important goal while we talk about it at the business level applies to everybody in a business yeah, and the teams yeah. they work with. Totally. I, I just want to sort of ask one further thing on that though, because I'm sure the listeners are, uh, are, are probably questioning themselves. If they're the, the solo entrepreneur in, in their business and they might have people working for them perhaps, but they feel they're, they're at the top of their business. They, they are the leader. Uh, and that they're not being led by anybody else. So I understand the comments you made right at the beginning of this podcast um, about that. But what would you say to those people that say, I have nobody that I have that's leading me? Where where can they go for that? You know, obviously, you know, you've got your role as a consultant that, that might be part of that, that leadership process. What would you say to those people sitting there saying, I am the leader. There is nobody higher than me. So one of the elements of the business hierarchy, that's a great question, Simon. One of the elements of the business hierarchy it needs is something we call customer awareness and knowledge. Mm -hmm. And if you're a solopreneur, you are creating value that you want to sell. Yep. You know, whether it's this pen or it's a service, what you need to do then is you need to talk with your potential customers or your current customers and ask them this question. What's the most important thing I can do for you that will make yeah. your life easier? Hmm. Now notice I did not say what's the most, what, what can I do to be more competitive? Correct. What can I do to, increase your profit. So maybe they might come back and say, I need, I need more gross margin. I need, you know, I need a lower cost. Yeah. If they come back and say that that's the most important thing you can do for me, then you can decide as a solopreneur, whether that's the most important goal for your organization. Yeah. Yeah. Great answer. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because we all have somebody that you know we're providing a service or a product to, and uh, yeah, great, 
Great, great answer. Final question then, Jim, before we wrap it up. You, you've got your next coffee with your Italian cream, sweet Italian cream in it, and you're sat and you're reading, reading one of your favourite books, whether it be fictional or whether it be a business book. What would that book be and what would be the dream location that you'd be sat reading it in? So I'm going to disappoint everybody with this answer. Okay. So I do read 25 or 26 books a year. Good. And I, I alternate between a fiction book yep. and a business book or a historical book. Yep. And I do that. I listen on Audible. Yep, me too. When I work out in the morning. So one, there's one hour every morning in my little gym in my garage that I'm listening to something. And I live in Los, in the Los Angeles area, so I spend a bit of time in a car. And I listen in a car as well. So the, you've got an idea of what I listen to and uh, also my favorite places are when I'm working out and when Perfect. I'm in the car. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. Any particular author that you want to sort of uh, say, yep, yeah, if it was the perfect listen what would it be so wow my my interests are so diverse that's difficult to say but uh, two of my favorite books and i just finished listening to this for the third right. time right okay was uh, uh, Ron's atlas shrugged but oh, it's yeah. 61 it's 61 hours on audible Wow. 61 so, hours. Wow. Yeah. I yeah. just finished a book by Michael Crichton called Dragon's Teeth, which is yeah. a story about uh, archaeology in in the Old West in the United right. States. But some of my favorite some of my favorites, uh, one that I thought was incredibly good, but and I, I'll forget who the author was, was some a book called The Forgotten 500. Right. Yep. I've heard of that. Yeah. Have you? Yeah. It's the story about pilots that were shot down during World War Two and yeah. and uh, uh, taken care of by people in and I think it was Western Eastern France Correct, until yeah. they were able to be rescued. It's quite an yeah. amazing piece yeah. of history and an amazing story. Yeah. And of course, for the listeners. When you're having your next coffee in your favorite place, the book to be reading is Strategy Realized, The Business Hierarchy of Needs by Jim Gitney as well. So, uh, yeah, we need to make sure we, we give that a good plug. You, you've been an amazing guest, Jim. You've given us such an insight uh, into really not just what we can do, but the way that you've developed that fix-it strategy all the way through now to the book which you're you're sharing with us today and uh, from what to what by when and then get people involved in the how that's that's definitely the mantra for me uh taking away from this and i really do appreciate the time that you've given it to us today well you're quite welcome simon it's been 
absolutely my pleasure to discuss a topic that obviously is something I have a lot of passion around. Yeah, absolutely. And listeners, you've now got a responsibility in exchange for the time that Jim has given you in this episode. And that responsibility is to go out there, not just grab a copy of, of the book and visit the website that you mentioned, but to turn your strategies, whatever those strategies are, to look for those big goals and turn them into results. Because it won't happen by chance, it won't happen by magic, it will happen by action and implementation. And using, as we talked about earlier on, technology to enable it perhaps, but that isn't just the only answer. It's uh, So look at those tactics that Jim shared with us today to turn strategy into results. And as always, uh, thanks for listening to this episode and I'll look forward to having you on the next one. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. Don't forget if you'd like any help and support with your business, do get in touch with Simon. And to discover what your business needs you to fix next, visit www.sterlingcoaching.fixthisnext.com. Please do subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And Simon would love you to rate and review the show too. Thank you.